This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston. And today we are talking about the 2020 album. It literally only came out as we record this, like, I think three months ago. Uh, Nija by Orbit Culture, um, who are a Swedish sort of noise, melodic, death metal-ish band. <laughs> we'll talk about their genre later. Um, yeah, going to be a fun episode. It definitely is. I knew nothing about this band coming into this, getting prepared for this episode. Absolutely nothing. Uh, well, neither did I, really. I mean, okay, I, I, to say nothing is not true, because obviously they were my choice, but I, I knew very, very little about the band as a band. I had just heard a couple of their releases and thought, oh, they're pretty good, you know, good new modern band, let's let's talk about them. Uh, and then turned out to be quite interesting when you do dive into who they are and where they come from, what have you. But like I say, we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, so before we get to that, let's just follow up from our last episode. First of all, we have uh, two new patrons since our last episode, Jeff Wilhelm and Craig Savage. Thank you, guys. Uh, very much appreciated. Um, and... Oh, and before we get to the Facebook stuff, I just want to say I heard, speaking of new bands, I heard a band for the first time the other day um, called Harakiri of the Sky. They are an Austrian, again, sort of melodic death band, but with kind of slightly gothy tendencies as well by the sounds of it. I only heard one track. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it's representative. It's their most recent release called I, Paul Bearer. But I really enjoyed it. Um, they were just randomly recommended to me by a friend of a friend sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I was like, actually, this is really good. So I'm going to check them out. I would be really interested to hear from listeners who are more familiar with them because they've been around for about nine or 10 years now. Um, much like Orbit Culture, actually. So yeah, if anybody else out there is more familiar with Harakiri of the Sky, um, pop onto the Facebook group and, uh, or drop us an email or, you know, chat to us on twitter and uh, tell us a bit more about and recommend some you know some more tunes to check out yeah i have not heard of them so that's i'll have to uh i'll have to check them out as well uh, but welcome to our new uh patreon supporters and uh again if you have not checked out the facebook yet we had a great discussion about the havoc album which is what we talked about in our last episode of that uh i'm just going to jump right into the comments here jd said i don't listen to a lot of podcasts right away when they drop but when I do, it's this one. And that reminded me of, uh, what, what was that commercial where like, I don't do this a lot of times, uh, yeah, but when the, I do, the one that it's turned, this. became a meme. Yeah. I don't always do this, but when I do, it's this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and we greatly appreciate that, that, that this is sort of a appointment listening for some people. We, we really appreciate that. Art said, uh, I actually own the documentary Get Thrashed on DVD, which is something that I mentioned, uh, last time he said, I'd also recommend metal, a headbanger's journey. And the quasi-sequel, Global Metal, I've got them both on DVD as well. So Metal, A Headbanger's Journey was the Sam Dunn yeah. documentary that basically kicked off his then series. I think it was on VH1 Classic yeah. when it first came out, which was uh, Metal Evolution. And that took the sort of anthropologic approach that he had taken to Metal in A Headbanger's Journey and broke it into individual episodes. And so if you have not seen that series, I don't even know if it's streaming... It's got to be out there somewhere. It's it's available if you know where to look. Um, I mean, I don't know about legitimate sources, but certainly, you know, yeah, 
if you know where to look, you can find it. And there are certainly clips on YouTube, might have you. And that was a series that I hadn't seen until you recommended it while we were doing this show, I don't know, two, three years ago or something. Um, yeah. And yeah, I watched it and really enjoyed it. And I mean, you know, it would have to be literally a thousand episodes long to cover everything <laughs> that you want him to cover. But he does a really good job of hitting the sort of, you know, the most significant beats of the evolution of metal. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's a great sort of foundation to to then do a lot of exploring from because yeah. there's so many names that come up in those discussions that you're like, oh, I either didn't think of them as part of this particular genre or I've never checked out that band, but they're in the same group over here as this band and stuff like that. And he does, I forget what the name of it is. Is it Banger Productions? I forget. I apologize. Like whatever that, yeah. his uh, you know site in YouTube is now, but they do reviews now. They still do a lot of uh, discussion around... Uh, they do a lot of interviews, a lot of discussion around different genres of metal and stuff like that. So he's continued to put out some really cool stuff. But that that um, movie and then the subsequent series are like fantastic, just yeah. absolutely great. And if you're if you're a junkie for documentaries and also like diving deep into the types of discussions that we have here, like. Pfft phenomenal well another thing just to quickly say another good thing about it is if you're a younger listener out there you probably aren't familiar with quite a few of the bands that he covers in uh metal evolution um because you know he does go right the way back to the to the roots so if nothing else if you're a metaler who wants to learn a bit more about you know the kind of the bands that formed the genre it's really good for that as well Oh, absolutely. And it's something that I've revisited a few times. And uh, I feel like the metal ahead bangers journey is like the Cliff's Notes version. Yeah. So if you if you only have a couple hours <laughs> to kill, then watch the movie if you really want to dive deep. And the cool thing about the, the series is that you can obviously pick and choose which particular genres, you know, you want to learn yeah. more about, which is awesome as well. So uh, but good recommendations by art there. Joe said, halfway through the episode, after listening to the album a few times, on some songs, it does sound like the debut albums of Metallica and Megadeth, but with worse vocals. And then he kind of said the uh, laugh emoji there. Seriously, though, the vocals are grating. I shan't be adding this to my playlist. Enjoyable discussion, as always. And I think we touched on that in the episode, right? Just the idea that, uh, in some cases, the vocals are, you're either going to stay or leave because of them. Yeah, I mean, this is an issue with all manner of extreme vocals, isn't it? And Orbit Culture included, you know, this album, I'm sure there are some people where the vocals put them off. Um, You know, the the growl vocals, I mean, not so much the clean. You know, once you get into growls and screams, it is, there is a taste thing. You know, I've said it before, there are some that just grate on me. Uh, We know there are some that grate on our listeners and stuff as well. You know, it's, uh, you just kind of, it's the luck of the draw really um yep. it is a shame sometimes because i kind of sympathize in the there are some bands where i really like the music but the vocals just turn same. me off you know uh, right and i know it's the same for you as i say it's i think it's the same for most metal listeners to be honest um but yeah you know it's part it's it's part of the package so yeah you know you just got to try and find a band with similar music but vocals that suit your ears better <laughs> yeah well and i think the the sort of uh, minimum three listen approach that we kind of preach on this show it helps work through some of that stuff because I, I often have a knee jerk reaction the first time I listen to a band, especially if like even orbit culture, right. Even some of the, the more, um, I, I wouldn't say cookie monster. Cause I don't think they go in that, in that far down the spectrum, but, but that vocal type just immediately is like, Oh, I don't know. But then I work through it 
Yeah. Right. And I'm certainly glad I did on this one as we'll, we'll talk about in a few, but yeah, that's why, uh, that's one of the things to me, not to digress too much, but that this whole streaming way that people listen to songs now and this sort of a la carte way that people listen to music now, to me, it's one of the negative effects of that is that it really allows you to bounce very quickly off of stuff because you're not giving it its sort of due diligence. And it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, they mentioned this band. I checked out a song from them on Spotify or Amazon or whatever. Ugh, didn't grab me. Yeah. And that's it. it. Well, it's, and like the social like, oh. me- it's like the social media bubble, isn't it? You know, yep. There's a risk that you wind up only listening to stuff that you know you're going to like or that you immediately like and don't challenge yourself. And, yeah, I mean, you know, fine. If that's not what you're into music for, fair enough. But I think most people who regard themselves as big music fans would, you know, say that they enjoy listening to something that might be difficult from time to time and kind of learning to appreciate it. Or maybe that's a generational thing. I don't know. But certainly you're in my generation. That was, I mean, we didn't have a choice because (laughs) we were just picking up albums, you know, and that was it. That was the album. Um, But I don't know. I think there is more than just the sort of the lack of alternative. I think there is also an attitude there of, no, I, I, I will give something a listen, even though it's not immediately catchy or even though there are parts of it that are difficult to listen to. And I yep. will see if it grows on me and I'll look for the the art in it and sort of, you know, think about the musician's intentions. I mean, you know, yep. this techno ambient stuff I listen to that is genuinely, the first time you listen to it, you're like, wow, that is really dissonant and like off kilter and genuinely hard to listen to. But it does kind of work its way into your brain. Yeah. And, and to get super nerdy for a second, um, not that we're not usually nerdy on this show, (laughs) but to take it even a step further. um, I know that it's a point of pride for a lot of music lovers and metal lovers to, to kind of have this knowledge, right. Of the genres and of the music and of stuff like that, because it's something that they really care about. And from a neuroscience perspective, and this is uh, something I'm pulling over from my day job. Like we build these things called schemas, which is basically like, if I say car to you, you immediately have a picture in your head of like, okay, wheels. Uh, you generally have an idea of sort of what a car is. And so we have these schemas that we build through our experiences and our, um, you know, things that we've learned over the years and stuff like that. And they allow us to make predictions about things, which is why when you hear something for the first time, you immediately try to attribute it to other stuff that you've already listened to, right? Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you sort of get this feedback of like, that was either correct or it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then you absorb that feedback and you use it to make new predictions and you use it to carry forward into the next experience. And so that sort of schema building uses the perception action cycle. It's like what I think is going to happen. And then I take an action and then I see what happened. And then I adjust the way that I think about it. And if you approach music like that and you give it its due diligence, you're actually building, broadening your schema for what this stuff even is. And so it's kind of cool to listen to stuff that you've never listened to before and add those little pieces. And that's why I love that, that uh, metal headbangers journey and the metal evolution series so much is because I thought I knew a reasonable amount about metal and about its origins and about the different genres of metal. And I learned so much Mm. going through that. You know, I learned so much from the show. I learned a lot from listening to the Orbit Culture album over these past couple of weeks. And so it is really, 
it just behooves you to spend some time with it and and to really kind of broaden that understanding moving forward. Um, and that's one of the things I love about music is that you can even at even as an old man as I am now, uh, you can still do that constantly. And there is your genuinely educational portion of the show. <laughs> From I Professor know, right. Brian, thank you. Uh, right. So, uh, <laughs> what was that? The progressive action cycle? Did you the call perception it? action cycle? Sorry, perception and so action th- cycle. Right. Right. Where we talk about it a lot in my day job is is in terms of how people learn math um, uh, and okay. how and how you learn problem solving skills and and basically that the way that things are taught traditionally in school really doesn't take advantage of the innate reasoning abilities that every human being has. And so that's one of the reasons that kids learn procedures and they learn rules and they forget them because they haven't learned in a way that allows them to actually build those, that conceptual understanding. And so, um, yeah, yeah, of course, well, me, uh, then I try to apply that to other stuff I'm interested well, in. Well, and like. I think I think you can probably, uh, speaking as somebody who has learned a few musical instruments over the years, you know, I think you can apply that to music as well and learning music and learning how to write songs in that we all do start out sort of imitating and trying to figure out what the rules are, but you reach a point where those things are less valuable than the act of actually figuring it out for yourself and conducting your own experiments for want of a oh, better 100%. description. Yeah. And then you apply that, right? Or you, or you learn new techniques or you learn different, I mean, even the like picking styles and stuff like that. And you Mm -hmm. continue to build your understanding of like what, uh, the fundamentals and what the foundation of creating music is and things like that. And then you have this toolbox that you can apply to, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to build, which is really kind of cool. So, uh, and if there's any neuroscientists who are listening to this podcast and they're like, holy shit, Brian is way off on what he, <laughs> you know, just talked about. Like, I apologize. That That is sort of the, the very kind of uh, watered down version of, of uh, schema building and the perception action cycle. But there's some great stuff out there that you can you can learn more about it. And, and it actually, that kind of conversation made me evaluate further my relationship with music and like why. Mm. I listen to music the way I do and how I listen to music and how it kind of builds upon itself and stuff like that. So, so I'm, um, I'm just going to quickly, before you resume, I'm just going to quickly interject a couple of things there that relate actually to sort of the creation of music. And one of them is if, and if you haven't heard of um, Brian Eno's card deck, uh, shit, what's it called? Everybody out there who's an Eno fan now is uh, screaming at Screaming at you. Yeah, because they know exactly what it is. And I've... Oblique Strategies. That's it. And my mind just went blank. If you've never heard of Brian Eno's card deck, Oblique Strategies, go and look it up. It's amazing. Um, uh, But that also relates to what I was going to say about what we're saying about experimenting. One of the most... And it's a silly little thing, but one of the most valuable things that ever happened to me was when I was making the Wasteland soundtrack when I was making, you know, a song per story arc and releasing them, uh, you know, about one every six months on average. I, early on, on one of the tracks, I because I use a digital sequencer, I was using GarageBand at the time, and I accidentally shifted. I, I, I copied a pattern that appeared in an earlier part of the song, like it was a, a melody of, you know, I don't know, synths or something. And I copied it, but I accidentally misaligned it. So that instead of starting at the start of the bar, along with where all the other instruments started, you know, for that bar, it started, I think, like a quarter bar later. And it blew my mind. And it's still in there, actually. I can't remember what the track's called now, but it's still in there because it sounded so good. 
repeating that thing, but with the timing slightly off. I was like, my God, it, it sounds completely different, but familiar. And it was amazing. And it's a technique that I've actually used quite a few times since in other music. And that just purely came about because of an accident. It wasn't even really an experiment, but instead of immediately correcting it, I listened to how it sounded and thought, oh, actually, that's pretty good. And that's what I mean about trying, you know, experimenting for yourself rather than just trying to absorb the so-called rules. A hundred percent. And then the more that you have those concepts that you've already absorbed, the more that you feel comfortable in some ways experimenting in the future because you know that you can always come back to them. Absolutely. Anyway, back to Facebook. <laughs> yes, back to Facebook. So, uh, Art, uh, speaking of uh, uh, deep dives and, and long takes, Art has a very long breakdown of this discussion around Havoc's influences and stuff like that. But I'm just going to read the beginning. You can go there and check the rest of it out. He said, I just finished listening to the episode, and while I knew Brian loved this album and, and band, I'm pleasantly surprised by Anthony's appreciation of what Havoc has done with this album. Even though my tastes lean more towards Brian, since he's a year older than I am, I respect Anthony's opinion a lot when I listen to the podcast, which is the only one I have listened to all the way through when it gets released as opposed to every other podcast. I just want to stop and say again, (laughs) that is very appreciated. As someone who listens to at least probably 10 hours of podcasts a week, I know that uh, listening to episodes as soon as they drop and like listening all the way through the first time through, like that's, that doesn't happen for all podcasts. So I really uh, appreciate that. He said, uh, I'm so happy uh, you two pretty much hit the nail on the head with all the influences. I heard them too when I started listening to them. Uh, And then he goes down the list of like Sepultura. He goes down the list of Slayer. He goes down the list of Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth. Uh, So if you want to kind of dive deep into what he hears when he listens to this album, it's really great. But I think that's one of the cool things and and kind of one of the things that makes Havoc interesting is that at first listen you feel like that maybe they wear their influences a little bit too much on their sleeve. But with repeated listens, you can kind of hear that there's even more influences in there than you initially thought they were. And the way that they're applying them and the way that they've kind of evolved their take on them is super interesting. Mm, And I feel like, especially this new album from them just rewards every listen is rewarded with uh, some more kind of stuff. Uh, Kenneth said, quick anthrax chat. The run of Among the Living, uh, State of Euphoria, and Persistence of Time is very hard to beat, and there's an argument to make that only one of the big four has topped it. And I don't think he said which one, <laughs> but we probably have different opinions yeah. <laughs> on what that is. But I do Well, like I would that disagree idea. with that premise even to start with, yeah, so <laughs> that immediately. Well, I think Anthrax would, because I think what they would say is that State of Euphoria is not an album. I know Scott Ian's not a huge fan of that album. They felt like that was super rushed. They had to get it out to get on tour, and um, they're not happy with it. It's actually one of my favorite Anthrax albums, but not one of the band's favorite albums, which well, is... And that just goes to show why everybody's run of three albums from the big four or whatever is going to be different and everybody's going to disagree on who has a run or doesn't uh one of my favorite paradise lost albums the band absolutely hate it was like yeah. made during a really tough time they hated the producer they don't like the production they never play tracks from it live anymore they haven't done for years and yet it's one of my favorite albums of theirs go figure 
Yeah, and what I think is cool, too, is is, uh, even though we talk a lot about kind of the rule of three on this show, I kind of have a fascination with the first four albums of bands because I've seen kind of a pattern, and it doesn't hold true every time, of like the fourth album being the album that begins the divergence from their sound or begins sort of the evolution of the next era of that band. Mm. And so... Mm. um, uh, from Def Leppard being a good, because everybody will say, oh, he's talking about Metallica. No, from Def Leppard to, um, you know, uh, Megadeth to obviously Metallica, I think to me, it's kind of interesting to see like, uh, you can in say some cases, Paradise Lost as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, in some cases, there's almost like this peak of the original sound and then it starts to change. You know who you couldn't and, say it of? Motorhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so with some bands, it's more of like a 2020 album. Uh, I mean, ACDC's got a new album coming out, and I think if you've listened to that first song, uh, they're not, uh, you know, they haven't gone experimental in their uh, in their latest yeah, album either. Yeah, they didn't either, suddenly that, turn into a, a, a techno core band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I look, I kind of look at those first four albums, and I, I try to see if they fit that sort of pattern of, and I think Def Leppard is my favorite one to sort of, look at that because you had on through the night you had high and dry which we've talked about on the show and you had pyromania which were their heavier you know we're going to be the next acdc but with more of a uh glam kind of sheen on it and then hysteria came out which was such a departure for them Mm -hmm. and really that was the course that they were on for for forever uh after that so yeah interesting to go back though it's always fun to to pick uh, a chunk of albums from a band and like hold them up to others. And I think that's one of the things to me that makes the big four so interesting to talk about is that of course they're the big four because of that was the time they got out there. That was the popularity that they had and stuff like that. But at the same time, like they have a discography that is large enough for you to continue to have those discussions to go album Mm, for album, to go to take chunks of albums. So like there's how many bands can you be like, well, let's take these four albums of their <laughs> from the early plus career album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah this 15 plus album, you know, um, discography and just talk about these four. But that, that is That's one true. of the coolest things about the big four to me is that you can do that. And I've been kind of on an anthrax kick lately. Um, and part of it is because I saw a live stream. I don't know if I posted about this in the, Facebook group, but on the uh, Armored Saint just released a new album. And the week before the album came out, they did a live stream release party from the Whiskey A Go Go in LA. And it was a concert that you could pay like 10 bucks to watch the stream of. And they played an entire set. They played four songs off the new album, they played songs from their whole back catalog. And it was freaking awesome. And of course, then that made me go revisit John Bush era anthrax stuff. And that got me, you know, going back to the early days of Joey and stuff. So, um, yeah, but, uh, I'd like to know what kind of thought of the other bands sort of three album runs. Mm. So Kenneth, if you want to come back and revisit that thread and let us know what you think of all the big four in terms of those and, and how you would rank them. Um, no easier CJ, way to start an argument on the Facebook group, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I think CJ did that. He he did uh, Metallica and uh, and Anthrax and Slayer, and then he only listed one from Megadeth. <laughs> yeah, it's funny for a podcast where I, I am such a gigantic Megadeth fan. It feels like in our general listenership, Megadeth is third or fourth on that list of big four for most of our listeners, which I find uh, very interesting and a little bit heartbreaking. 
<laughs> uh, let's see. Joe said, listening to this album again with your comments is making me appreciate it more. Glad to hear Anthony say that he also didn't think much of it the first few listens. And that kind of goes back to yeah. all the stuff that we've been <clears throat> talking about. Uh, let's see, just scrolling down. Uh, Daniel said, I, I kind of sort of like this album. I can definitely say that this is a top-notch thrash album. It's really good in the musical department. But my big, big problem with thrash metal in general is the politics. I'll admit that some of the politics um, that is said is something I disagree with. Uh, he said, but a lot of thrash metal politics take either right or left, turns it into conspiracy theories, in my opinion, and I get that vibe from the lyrics. Yeah, I mean, we could spend a week talking oh, yeah. about that, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as we record this, the the election in the U.S. just got resolved. Uh, well, I won't say resolved. It just got called yesterday, um, which is kind of, we'll, we'll see what the next phase is with that kind of stuff. But um, I don't know that you can separate politics from music. And I think a lot of times, based on what your personal politics are, that's obviously how the music is going to resonate with you. Like, it's no... It's no secret that some of the stuff that Mustaine has written over the years is kind of tinfoil hat um, sort of conspiracy theory stuff, which I am not on board with. That doesn't keep me from being able to enjoy the music or Megadeth as a band, but um, I can definitely see how how if something really resonates with you, either positively or negatively, that can that can definitely change your perception of a band. But as far as like politics, like just with everything else, like movies, comics, you know, books, everything else, everything is political. So it's not really something you can separate. I I think for me, the, the thing that determines whether I can or can't, you know, bear to carry on listening to a band with that sort of stuff is the intent behind it. And I think with like, you know, Megadeth, I'm sure this is true as well. And certainly of the Havoc stuff. Yes. Some of it is a bit, tinfoil hatty but i think it's clear that he's coming from a place of wanting to eliminate hypocrisy and make people appreciate one another again and you know love life and all that sort of so you know it's coming from a positive place right it's kicking against oppression and the ideas of yeah you know controlling hypocritical politicians and th- and things like that now yes the the way he goes about it in the lyrics is a, sometimes a bit you're like yeah you know not so sure about that but like i say i th- you know i think it's clear that it's coming from a good place and i'm sure the same is true of mustaine as you say there is some conspiracy theory stuff in there but it's coming from a place of oh my god this is isn't the world a terrible place why can't we all just get along and love each other and not lie to one another and as long as that's the source of it i can live with it more easily than you know than if it's actual fucking nazism sure. or whatever yeah and i i think you could probably criticize mustaine for maybe not always uh, being on that side of it i think his personal politics have changed uh, a bit over the years as well but that's and that's a whole other discussion right like how do you deal with the fact mm-hmm. that you, you know your favorite bands or whatever um that sort of changes over the years because because them starting in the punk era and just rebelling against everything and all that kind of stuff is uh maybe not the same place that they're in now in their 50s you know yeah. uh, in in that particular part of their life I don't want to gloss over, though, and of course we could go down the political rabbit hole, but I don't want to gloss over the fact that also in this post, Daniel shared some pretty personal stuff, um, and I'm just going to uh, touch on mm. a piece of it, and you can go read the rest of it here, And, and but I think back to the, you know, the idea of music being escape. He said, music has always been an escape for me, and heavy metal is the only genre I truly resonate with. It's the only music that makes me feel alive. Uh, it's how I put context to the world 
and how to express my inner feelings, the genre pulls it out of me. Um, and then he talks about how, how metal has actually helped him to uh, seek help in his own life. And then talks about orbit culture a little bit as well. Uh, the song see through me helped me a lot. And I think it's one of the major reasons I, I got help. And I think that not only is that a powerful discussion that happened there on the Facebook page, but it also got a lot of reactions from our listenership in terms of support. And I think when it comes to music and what it means to people and how it uh, can be a real, not just a healing agent, but something that helps you express and put into words what you're feeling Mm -hmm. yourself, I think is really powerful. And this album that we're going to talk about today, obviously, is uh, very much about struggles with uh, mental health. And so there's so much that you could pull from this particular album that we're going to talk about today. But I think the, the one thing to go back to, you know, your comment about unity, Anthony, that's, that's something that I feel like the metal community does a really good job of. And I think when we have these discussions about mental health and we have these discussions about, you know, things that we might've struggled with in our own lives, the support of the metal community and the sort of affirmation across the board of how meaningful music has been in helping people kind of get their feet under them is really, I think, one of the best things about the genre and about the community and all of that stuff. And you can see that in a lot of these discussions that are happening on our Facebook page. And so um, I only touched on probably, <laughs> you know, a third of the comments that are on there. There's a great conversation it about is, this yeah, Havoc episode, but it's, you should totally go. It's always a long thread after, a, after an episode post, isn't it? But that's good. I mean, that's, you know, and as you say, it means that we get spinoff conversations and threads like that. And yeah, the, the, I mean, it goes back to, I think Christ, it might've been on the very first episode when we talked about the experience of, you know, seeing another metalhead across the street and shouting slayer <laughs> to them you know there is Absolutely. that feeling of it's us against the world and i mean obviously now that you have some metal bands who are enormous and draw in huge crowds and are massively commercially successful there is less of that i realize that you know it's it's less we are less of the outsiders than we used to be but still still you know there is still a uh, an antipathy towards metal and especially the more extreme edges of metal from a lot of what you'd call the mainstream culture and the mainstream community even though you have a band like say Slipknot who are you know still pretty extreme by sna- by most people's standards but are filling out enormous arenas and draw selling yeah. huge amounts of records and stuff but still regarded as those strange freaky heavy metal like weirdos uh you know childish adolescent silly music people um you you see that attitude all the time still and i won't say it baffles me because i do understand you know we've all lived with it for long enough that i think we all understand where it's coming from but it is still I don't know. It's just, you kind of, you'd hope that we'd be over it by now, but we're clearly not. And I really think that's what drives a lot of the metal community and that feeling of community that we have within the fandom. Uh, you know, it's like family. You can, 
families will scream and shout at one another all day long, but the moment that somebody else from outside <laughs> yeah, totally comes in yeah. and starts com- you know threatening one of the family, suddenly the wagons circle and it's the family unites together. And I really think that the metal community is like that. We argue and debate and take the piss out of one another for our, you know different tastes and bands and genres and stuff and subgenres, I should say, all the time. But the moment that the mainstream goes heavy metal, well, that's for thirteen-year-old boys, isn't it? We all go whoa. Wait a second. <laughs> it's like a record scratch moment. Everybody yeah. <laughs> turns out. What did you just say? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's on now. Yeah, that is funny. Yeah. It is. It, it's a great community. It is, um, you know, definitely uh, what I love about it. And I think what we all kind of wear as a badge of honor is it's a lot more inclusive of a community than I think people give it credit for. And so, yeah. you know, we, we kind of love that about the metal community that um, it's not because it's always kind of been about not being not being what people think, right? Not not fitting into the labels that people sort of put upon it. And I think there there is still a lot of that. And I also think like now with uh Bandcamp and the way that bands can just get their music out there, like it's kind of cyclical in the sense that there's less gatekeeping for the discovery of new bands and things like that. And I I think that's kind of breathed life into the this the metal community too, in terms of like, Oh dude, you got to check this band out. I mean, you did it at the start of the show, right. Of like, yeah. Oh, Hey, I listened to this new band. You should go check out this band. Like, I, I feel like we're really back in that now of being able to almost like back in the days of the music shop, be like, Hey, come over here. Did you go, did you see this band yet? Oh, you got to listen to these guys. These guys are amazing. And, and it just, uh, the access is there to a lot more bands from all over the world who, and you can't possibly as one person know them all. And that's such a great thing about the metal community is we're always looking to like turn somebody on to something else, yeah. you know, that we like, or, or, or I found this, let me share it. There's this idea of like, if I discover something, I want to immediately turn it around and share it with everybody who is in this community with me. And I think that's really cool. It's yeah. always about like well, wanting to celebrate that, things together. I think part of that is also wanting to find the other people in the community who are into it. Because that's how, within the metal community, that's always how we've kind of found our closest friends and the people we connect with, isn't it? Is like For through sure. a shared love of a particular band. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, you could just say to people right now, like, think about three people in the Facebook group that immediately come to mind when you think about, like, your musical tastes. And our own listenership has already done that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of like, yeah, oh, well, yeah, I'm friends with these, these guys like hair metal or whatever. Exactly. All right. So, uh uh, I mean, talking about sort of bands that self-release is a perfect segue into talking about Orbit Culture. So before we do, let me just quickly point people at the links. So that Facebook group is at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. Uh, and of course, you can go to the website thrash it for links to email and Twitter. And if you want to help support the show and become one of our Patreon supporters, that's at patreon.com slash thrash it out. Um, but yeah. Orbit Culture is a band that uh, have self-released like two albums before this one. This is their third album. Uh, and the first one actually released on, you know, a label. Um, so uh, they were formed in... So it's a town that I would have thought was pronounced Little Swedish Town. And I would have thought it was pronounced Exia. But apparently, according to Lonely Planet, it's pronounced Equa which doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, there again, who knows? So there's S's silence, apparently. Anyway, whatever it's, however you pronounce it, tiny little Swedish town, 
Uh, it's literally about the size of the town I live in, which, believe me, is no <laughs> metropolis, uh, by a guy called Nicholas Carlson, who rem- is the guitarist and lead singer and basically writes all the music and remains the, the core of the band today. He formed it with a friend, Maximilian Zinsmeister. Uh, they began playing and writing together. They recorded a debut album called In Media Res in 2014. Uh, and then, as so often happens, people left. New people joined, yada, yada. Uh, as I say, Nicholas himself was the core, uh, carried on basically doing everything himself um, and self-producing as well for the second album, which was called Razen. And now we're at the third album with, with so it's Nicholas Carlson on guitars, uh, Richard Hansen on lead guitar, Frederick Lennartson on bass, and a guy called Christopher Wallerstedt on drums. He's new. He literally only joined like last year. Um, and I will... Just say, if the band ever gets to hear this, for God's sakes, guys, sort out your bio. It's like really long and full (laughs) of detail that we do not need. And yet it doesn't actually tell us who is currently in the band. (laughs) Sort it out. Anyway, and then they signed with uh, Seek and Strike and released this album, Nija. It was supposed to be released earlier in 2020 and then along came the pandemic. And then for one reason or another, it was delayed and they released it in August. Uh, but once again, uh, Nicholas Carlson wrote everything. He produced it. He mixed and mastered it himself. That's a pretty impressive set of skills for, you know, one guy to have. Um, well, especially dude, because the production is pretty good on this, at least in my ear, it's pretty good on this album. So like, that is quite a feat. It really is. I was like, yeah, when I realized that after listening to it for a couple of times, looking up the credits and I was like, holy cow, like th- that is a guy after my own heart, as it were. That's a proper music nerd who's like, okay, just let me at the the mixing desk and the software and, you know, I'll just take care of everything. That said, and now we're getting onto more of the album a little, but I do kind of wish that maybe for the next album that they, he would bring in somebody to help him hone the songs themselves, kind of like how Bob Rock did with Metallica. Um, uh-huh. I feel like there is, this album is a clear leap from the previous two, uh, which I don't know as well, but I have listened to bits of. They released an EP between the second and third albums, and that EP is really good, and it it very much sounds much more like this album. Um you know, he's clearly worked hard to improve the songs and, and the sound and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, he's stated that his his aim is big riffs and big choruses, uh, and he's definitely achieved that. But I do kind of feel like there's there's quite a bit of room for improvement to, to the album as a whole, to all of the songs on it. Um, and I think for that, he might need another ear as it were, you know, somebody to stand there, as we've talked about before, somebody to stand there and go, why don't you try this? How about that? And be taken seriously. Um, because, or even like, Hey, this riff here, this could actually be its own song. Yes. Like let's, let's pull that out and, and not use it here because you're not actually leveraging it to its fullest here. And then kind of, yeah, I I think a, a little trimming, a little, um, a little refining would be good, but, yeah, I mean, nothing nothing catastrophic. No, no, no. They, as I say, this album is a massive improvement over the uh, previous albums, and they are clearly on the right track. Um, but I do worry with one person doing everything. You know, sometimes that can be brilliant, but sometimes it can uh, it can stop you from hitting the peak because you're not. You know, one person can only do so much. Um, right. 
you know, and sometimes it really does help to have a sounding board, to have somebody go, uh, you know, who's disinterested as well. Somebody who isn't actually in the band and whose commercial success isn't tied up with it to just stand back and be dispassionate and go, okay, what about this? Um, anyway, uh, what surprised me the most was that they only toured for the first time last year. Like, because they weren't signed, they had no booking agent and they'd never Which toured. Which is a wild, yeah. It's kind of, it's crazy. Um, but apparently that tour was really good. Uh, I've watched a couple of, you know, sort of pirated YouTube videos from people's cell phones of gigs and they are tight. They are really, really tight. Uh, and reviews of the uh, tour were, you know, positive. People were going like, oh yeah, this is a really good live band. Um, and in fact talking about streaming uh, gigs and what have you, they are appearing literally as we record this, this week, this coming Friday yeah. is the Slipknot Pulse of the Maggots free online festival. And they are appearing at that. So if you have enjoyed this album or if you listen to this episode and then want to sort of check the band out, go and tune into that. Uh, because like I say, they got extremely good reviews for that tour last year. What I couldn't find is uh, any set list times at this point. So it's just kind of like, they're going right. to be part of it. I think it starts at like noon and you probably just need to have it on to figure out yeah. what time, or maybe this week they'll, they'll release, uh, you know, set list times or something, but I, cu- I couldn't find that, but yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, you've got an opportunity this week to see them play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, that's the one good thing about the, uh, everybody's streaming everything during the pandemic, isn't it? And I'm glad they're making it free, but at the same time, dude, like going back to the armored Saint thing that I was talking about before, like, let me give you money. Mm. Like, let me, if, because we've talked about this before, like bands figuring out this live streaming thing, figuring out this sort of concert thing. And we've seen like Metallica did their drive-in concert thing. But I'm talking about like if there was – like to take the whiskey. If the whiskey live streamed a show every Friday night and a bunch of the bands that I love came through and played to an empty house but live streamed it across the world, like I would pay every single week mm. to see bands. And so – for these bands, especially that haven't been able to tour, um, make some money off of that stuff, man. Like Armored Saint did a cool thing. They you, it was ten bucks to watch the stream, which which is pretty affordable for everyone. If you wanted to like get the stream, but also a copy of the new CD, or get the stream, but also a T shirt, or like they, they had those different tiers, but you didn't have to do any of that. You could yeah. just pay ten bucks and watch the stream, and that kind of like pricing structure and that kind of approach. Man, I just feel like as we continue to struggle with the pandemic moving forward, especially this year, and the impact that it's going to continue to have on touring, this is where things need to go, and fans will support that. I will absolutely support that. Absolutely. Uh, Paradise Lost, again, it is the third time I've mentioned them this episode. Um, They just just this week, uh, just a few days ago, did exactly that. But what they did was they played a gig from their rehearsal space uh-huh. um, and yeah, sold tickets for it. And it was, I think it was 10 pounds for a regular ticket or 15 pounds for a quote unquote VIP package, which basically got you as well as the gig, you got to see a bunch of pre-recorded question and answer sessions with the band. Um, you know, so just a little bit extra for, if you wanted to sort of see the band off stage. Um, Dude, but, I'll even take it a step further. Like, then record that live in studio session and sell me that. Uh, like, well, be like, hey, it's t- it's ten bucks to watch the stream, but if you also want basically a, a track by track album of the set that we played in the studio, 
that's another 10 bucks on top of that. So right. for 20 bucks, you watch the live stream and you can get a, an audio recording of the live stream. Well, they, done did, and done. they didn't do that for this gig, but I don't know if, I mean, I assume that they probably did record it for maybe later release. There was actually a bit of controversy because they announced it as a one-off gig that would be live streamed only, no way to watch it after it was finished, but it was UK time. And loads of their US fans were like, dude, that's the middle of the afternoon. I'm at work. Yeah. Like, dude, you know, uh, I can't tune Armored into that. Saints was at, one, it uh, was at 4 p.m. my time. It was 1 o'clock uh, in L.A., but it was 4 p.m. here. So on a Friday at 4 p.m., I was watching an Armored Saint right. concert. But to their credit, to their credit, they listened. And within a day, what they'd done was they decided to sell tickets to effectively a separate event, which was the same thing, but rebroadcast like four hours later for the U.S. Uh-huh. Uh, crowd um but it still was and it was a recording of the same gig but again it was the recording itself was live streamed it wasn't you know sent so that you could download it and watch it at your leisure you had to tune in at the time but that does seem to have gone down pretty well yeah yeah and and because the thing like that like those those live in studio uh, sort of appearances i remember anthrax's greater of two evils album where john bush re-recorded a bunch of the old anthrax songs and they kind of recorded it live in studio with a really small group of people that is one of my favorite albums from them. You it get is, that energy. We talked about this dude, before. Yeah. So it's there's so much energy. It is. It, it just jumps out of each song, and so yeah, yeah do more of that, man. Like uh, we're we're ready to support th- those people that go to concerts all the time. Trust me, are ready to support bands who are trying to figure this out. Yeah. Like we will do it. Orbit Culture actually have done. If you look on YouTube, there are some live in their rehearsal space uh recordings from this album you know of tracks from this album now they are heavily produced um like it doesn't sound like a band playing in the garage it actually sounds really really close to the stuff on the record because they're using backing tracks clearly everything is going separately mic'd into a mixing desk you know it's like it sounds almost like right a, a produced record but at the same time you can tell that it is played live it's not there's no messing around you know because the vocals are slightly different here and there and you know and same with some guitar lines and things like that it is clearly live but it is heavily produced yeah um but it is interesting that they can get so close to the record even with backing tracks you know the fact that they, the, the vocals and the guitars yeah. are so close to the record when playing live as i say that kind of bodes well for seeing them live Totally, dude. And it shows you that that this can happen. Like, again, with the Armored Saint one, it wasn't the same as being there live. But I got chills on a couple of those songs because they were going all out and it sounded freaking awesome. Mm. So, like, bring oh, that, it on. That's the other thing I should say about those. If you go and look for those YouTube videos of Orbit Culture in the studio, they are going for it. The bassist especially, he's a real headbanger. <laughs> yeah, like... it's awesome, dude. <laughs> like, I know if someone had asked us a year ago, like, what do you think about this? We'd be like, ah, it's nothing compared to seeing them live. But I'm telling you. Well, and it's not as are... good as seeing them live. Of course it's it not. isn't. But, but it also respects your ears a little bit better as well, right? True. Like, you don't have to <laughs> necessarily, like... Especially for it, old men like us, yeah. <laughs> 100%, dude. So, but, again, not that I would prefer this over going to see bands live, but I am ready you to support over this nothing. for the bands that I like and also for discovering new bands. Like, yep. man, Bandcamp, imagine if Bandcamp said, hey, every Saturday we're going to do, like like what Slipknot is doing, we're going to do a stream fest once a month you know whatever yeah, uh, we're yeah. gonna pick a whole bunch of artists we're gonna do a metal one this month we're gonna do a you know a um you know a pop one this month whatever but just go down the line and do that i'm telling you that i'm i'm actually surprised 
that this has not come together sooner. Well, you I'm know, really surprised. But again, talking about that feeling of community, because you know who has done it, and it's all the rock and metal crowd. It is the metal yeah. bands that are doing this. It's the two minutes to late night guys doing those jams. It's with, killing it, dude. Yeah. You know, it is. It's Charlie Bonante doing it, you yeah. know, uh, rounded up people and doing it like, yes, it is. Uh, and, and I think that comes again from that feeling of community of just like, you know, metal has always been one of those genres where, yes, of course, it's lovely to make money. Of course, everybody needs to try and make a living. But at the same time, there is a driving love of just playing the music. Yep. That, you know, metals or, metal and rock have always driven the live scene. Always. You know, yes, okay, they may not make as much money in aggregate as, like, the big pop concerts and stuff, but it is always musicians playing instruments in bands that have driven the live scene. And I just think that's, if you are that kind of musician who lives for that, you can't contemplate not doing it. I mean, again, to to, to mention Motorhead, look, yeah, Lemmy was, Christ... If you, I mentioned this at the time, you know, if you saw some of Motorhead's latest gigs, if you saw things like their Glastonbury appearance, it was obvious that Lemmy could barely stand up. You know, he was, they were only playing old songs because those were probably the only ones he could remember how to play by that point. He was not in a good way. And yet, who was going to tell him, no, actually, Lem, you can't go out there and play? You know, that would have killed him five years earlier. You, You couldn't because he lived for it um and so yeah i think if you are that kind of musician and lots of rock and and metal musicians are of that kind you've got to do it a hundred percent and for the venues too like imagine if you had live from the rainbow room every friday night at midnight or something like that like like these venues that are also struggling to Mm. put it out there like if again if it was like hey we're only going to let the band in we're going to, you know, uh, from a, we're going to take all the protocols. We're going to make sure it's a, it's a safe environment, but we're going to bring a band in every Friday night or whatever and play a full live set and do uh, a 20 minute Q and a afterwards with the live stream people that want to do that. I mean, it's, I just feel like it's there. Someone's going to figure this out soon on a, and, and figure out how to scale it. And, it's going to change things dramatically even after we return to live concerts. I feel like we're, Mm. you're going to see it soon, but it it surprises me that we haven't seen it on a larger scale yet. And I wonder if thought we'd have figured it out by now. Right. But I wonder if that's because people thought we also would have figured out the virus by now. That's true. You know, well, and and it's also because like um, for a lot of these, uh, a lot of the bands, especially the older bands, like we take it for granted because we're sitting here doing a podcast on a Sunday morning, right? Where, you know, where just like this, this whole, this whole way of uh, recording and broadcasting and communicating and doing all of that stuff. Like, I I just think a lot of bands haven't had to think about it. So it's kind of like, and a lot of bands, like there is no, there's no uh, staff of 20 that's working with them, right? Like it is, right, right. Uh, you know, look at Nicholas in, in this particular band, right? It's him. So it's not like they, they have a bunch of people figuring it out for them, but I think the venues could take the lead in that. That's where I feel like the mm. venues could actually take the lead and say, look, we're going to invest or bring in some equipment. We're going to set this place up to live stream because even post, you know, even when we go back to concerts, you could still do that. If I knew even, you know, when we're back out doing uh, events and stuff like that, if I knew that I could tune in to the whiskey once a week 
and see a concert from a band out in California that I'm probably not going to get to see because maybe they never tour over here on, you know, this side of the States and stuff like that. There's a lot of possibilities there. So I'm excited for the future of it because I think we're starting to see some of that stuff come together now. Um, this year is the year. I, I hope that we figure that stuff out and it's going it, to, and then it will just complement stuff in the yeah. future. I hope so. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so back to Orbit Culture. Um, uh, they are, as I said, they're from Sweden. They are very Scandinavian. I've seen a few interviews with them now and they are, and I mean that in a nice way, please, if you are Scandinavian, I'm sure you will understand what I'm saying. They are quiet, modest, unassuming, self-effacing. They are, they are very Scandinavian, but they are also obviously very talented. They're ambitious. They work hard. Nicholas clearly, you know, is a bit of a workaholic. For sure. Um, and they also seem, if you watch interviews with them or read interviews with uh, Nicholas, they seem really well balanced. Like Nicholas has said that he does suffer from anxiety. And obviously a lot of their songs are about that and about sort of personal demons. But I mean, honestly, the first few times that I heard this album and looked at the lyrics, I was like, fucking hell, man, are you okay? Because well, he writes from like the point of view of some nihilistic suicidal junkie. And then when you look at him and hear him talk, you're like, oh, he's just a regular guy. <laughs> well, it's it, so let's let's dive into that a little bit, because there was uh, I was reading an interview. Um, basically, what he talks about in terms of his own mental health is uh, suffering from harm OCD, which is like intrusive thoughts about harming other people. Mm. And what he says is that uh, this was from a revolver interview that basically he had gone away to like private school, 600 miles away from his family's home to study music production. And not long after he got there, two of his classmates hung themselves in the dorms. And what he talked about in the wake of that was that uh, he said it ignited the fear of death in me. And it actually traumatized him to the point where he was having extreme anxiety. He was having intrusive thoughts of self-harm at the time. He eventually like called and shared that with his father. And his father told him that he had struggled with the same thing for 30 years. And so oh, that wow. whole situation led to him to have a conversation with his own dad about it. But he talks a lot about how the the lyrics of the music, um, you know, obviously are, are him processing a lot of that stuff. And when you, when you read that kind of stuff and then you go back and look at the lyrics, there's definitely a lot of stuff that he's working through. And so he's been pretty open uh, about that stuff, which I think is really cool. But yeah, he, um, he talks about harm OCD and he talks about, uh, he said it's basically anxiety, but random thoughts will pop up and it's, he says it really paralyzes you, but it's nice to talk because as soon as the words come out of your mouth, you know, he's saying everyone laughs at it because it's so out of this world. But I think what he's obviously talking about is like by sharing it with people, it kind of helps them let it go. It diffuses and, it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah. And it, which I feel like, man, there's a lot of stuff being processed in this album. For, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, this, this is lyrically, this is genuinely one of the most nihilistic albums I think I have ever heard, you know, because it doesn't have the uh it doesn't have the i don't want to say cartoon qualities that's not that's not fair but it doesn't have the qualities that a lot of say death metal does where you kind of know that there's an element of theater to it 
uh, and a deliberate right. element of theatre. And that's not a knock, you know. I've said before, I love that sort of thing. But there is no theatre in the lyrics anyway of this album, um, or at least it doesn't feel like it. And I think that makes it much, much more affecting. Um, now, whether whether that's a good thing or not, bear right. in mind that music is entertainment. <laughs> you know, is up for argument. Um, but there is, if you look at the lyrics of this album, you are in absolutely no doubt what kind of struggles, yeah, mental health struggles the guy is working through, as you say, on this album. Well, and, and I'll just add there that as someone who has uh, struggled at times myself with anxiety, with depression, and even uh, with intrusive thoughts from time to time, like there, there were a lot of aspects of this album that, really resonated with me and mm. I'm actually surprised but appreciative of how open he is lyrically with a lot of the stuff that he's dealing with because to go back to the comment we were talking about from Daniel in the Facebook group a little bit earlier like it is so easy to feel like you are alone in that because that's what yeah it, that is what mental illness does it it makes you feel like you are alone and you are isolated and it's insidious in that way. And it, and it almost wants to isolate you in that way. And so, you know, I think that's why metal in general and certainly, um, you know, stuff like is that's being hit on by orbit culture here resonates so strongly with people because it is that thing of like, Oh, I'm, I'm not alone. This person is actually talking openly about this. This person is sharing this stuff. And so, um, very, very powerful stuff. And, it's it's always cool when you see a, a someone share that because you would never because there is so much theater in metal to back to your point it had he never talked about any of that stuff like you might wonder like is that is it just theater yeah is, is it just is this just the subject matter that this band decided to, to sort of make their thing that they're gonna sort of talk about um, did you, you know, like obviously with the modern Marth, you've got the, the Viking stories right, that they're telling right. and stuff like that. Like it's theater. Yeah. And um, as we said, nothing wrong with that, you know, like, absolutely. Yeah. It's great fun, uh, good stuff, great metal and cathartic in its way, but it is a million miles away <laughs> from <laughs> lyrically from stuff like this. Did you come across in, cause it, they haven't done that many interviews. That's the other thing. They really have flown under the radar quite a bit. Um, and I've, you know, had difficulty finding out a lot of stuff about this man. Did you find any uh, interview where he explained where the name comes from? Oh, I did. Oh, well done, because uh, I did He did an interview with uh, a site called Breathing the Core in 2016. And uh, at the time, I think they had a different drummer, and they were asked, first off, like, what are your metal influences? None of these will surprise you. Uh, I'll just read them real quick. Uh, they, all the band members chimed in. Metallica, Gojira, Behemoth, Whitechapel, Architects, Slipknot, uh, Lamb of God, In Flames, Mashuga. I think that's all the ones that they listed there. All of those. Uh, 100% non surprised. Yeah. <laughs> 100% non surprising, right? And then they talked about the name, and I think it was Nicholas that was interviewed. He said, I remember it was very late at night, and we had gone through a lot of different names during some weeks. So, in slight frustration, we used a simple band name generator online with us choosing the word orbit and the generator generating the word culture for wow. us. He said, then we just went with it. Now we hate it. Ha ha ha. 
Because <laughs> it is such a strange name for it's ridiculous, for right? any but band, also, and especially for this band. It's <laughs> but it's it almost like fitting in a way because it has this like nebulous aspect to it, and I right. feel like even it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, even though the lyrics here uh, are very specific in some cases, they also to me are very ebb and flow yeah in yeah. that they're they're not they're not always coherent they're not always telling a very clear story that some of them are just kind of bubbling up to the surface and then kind of fading away and it and, it, and to me it lends to that atmosphere of sort of the mental health struggles that i think nicholas is is kind of you know working through uh yeah. in this particular well, band. so the idea that their name is orbit culture and yeah. that that also feels very like what there's like. not a lot of storytelling per se on the album at all. And again, that's not a bad thing. You know, all of these songs are really more, well, well, there's one or two exceptions, but the vast majority are more about a state of being rather than, you know, th- there's no rhyme of the ancient right. mariner yes. in here, you know? Um, it's, they're very much not a storytelling band. Uh, and Even so- though they, they have said, and I don't know if you saw this as well, but the, that uh, the last three major songs yes Nesha, are kind uh, of a Nensha, trilogy Rebirth, yeah. and the shadowing are, are kind of a trilogy but very loose tri- like a yeah to yeah. me like i don't think you'd know that if you were if you were just kind of going no, through exactly. the album without exactly, yeah. them I, saying I, it I, yeah I, I think you need the band to tell you that in order to <laughs> sort of realize it um right but yeah so it does fit that it's a an a, a band name that doesn't automatically bring something to mind, you know, in the way that Cannibal Corpse does or something. Um, and it is fitting in that sense, but it is also, it's just such a, just such a strange <laughs> name. I was like, where did that come from? But no, now we know. And yes, Metallica. Yeah, like it makes me think of OK Computer from Radiohead, right? right. When you say Orbit Culture, I'm like, okay. We should talk about the huge Metallica influence because... Uh, Nicholas has no, I saw several interviews where he's just like, yeah, I'm Metallica, my favorite band. I worship James Hetfield. I've listened to Metallica for as long as I can remember. They are my gods. Like that's just, you know, and I make no secret of it. I mean, he even stands like Hetfield at the mic. If you see well, him and standing, clear, there's a song on this album that is, well, yeah, we'll get to that. But I mean, like literally yeah, yeah. watch him live and he looks like Hetfield at the mic you know he holds his guitar in the same way he stands in the same way he holds out his arms with his head slightly bowed in the same way you know sure it's just but he he says and i can believe this that it's not conscious it's more just that because he loves them so much and he grew up watching and listening to them constantly that it is inevitably a huge influence on the way he writes songs, the way he performs, the way he sings. It's not that he's trying to imitate Hetfield. It's that he can't help it. Yeah. Which the irony is, I think he sounds a lot like a young Chuck Billy at times, at times, as opposed to Hetfield. Um, Yeah. But there are definitely lines and, you know, Oh, for sure. Where you're like, Oh wow. That's, (laughs) that's a very James touch. Um, so let's get into the album a bit more. So it's uh, yeah released this year. It's called Nija. Uh, 10 songs, 46 minutes. So, you know, a good length. We've said that before. It kind of, you know, long enough, but not too long. Doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, uh, cover art. I want to mention the cover art here. It's by a guy called Barrel Marta, who is an Indonesian artist who works under the name Abomination Imagery. Uh, his website is at barrelmarta.com. That's B-A-H-R-U-L-L. M-A-R-T-A dot com. Uh, 
it's, he's done a load of metal albums as well as personal work and it is fucking great really really good artist go and check out the his site and have a look at the artwork because there's some really great stuff in there and he's done quite a few releases for orbit culture specifically um and yeah as i say it was their first signed album um nicholas has said that it was a really difficult album technically not that it was difficult in terms of the songwriting but they apparently had like computer crashes they had the drummer left the band uh they lost recordings they had guitars break on them and shit it was just you know it sounds like one of those terrible technically it was a real challenge to put together um but he also said that it's the quote-unquote first album that he feels truly proud of um in their release i think that's maybe just a little bit of hyperbole but you know it is like i said it is definitely an improvement over their first two albums you can see that they are growing and evolving as a band for sure so let's start with track one at the front Yeah, I mean, this is where you start to kind of piece together to go back to that our schema discussion, like the influences as as the song kind of starts out, which I felt like was a little bit of Slipknot, a little bit Lamb of God. Uh, We have like a Kirk Hammett esque solo that we throw in there um, at one point, which I thought was interesting because there's not a ton of solos on. There really uh, aren't. Yeah, I expected more to be honest. Yeah. um, So in some ways, like this song is a little bit more traditional than some of the other ones which i think are are a little bit more not experimental but just like don't fit the blueprint kind of as much um and they reminded me a bit of like soil work too Mm. um but yeah like i i this to me was a really good opener in terms of what you can expect from the album because when it started that was kind of my knee-jerk reaction of like okay this is what we're getting here but then at a minute in the melodic chorus kicks in and i was like oh whoa oh wait wait a second now and things kind of changed up a little bit and that contrast of the clean singing and the and the more the more growly singing like it it really works well i think the the melody and the and the grit work very well off of one another in this band and it's super aggressive like i i think it's a good opener it, to me it gives you like a good feel for what you're going to get from the rest of the album and i, I think that's so it does its job true. yeah i think i mean yeah. i think you said about it being sort of you know a bit more maybe traditionally structured than some of the other songs of the album and i think that's why it is track one clearly it is mm-hmm. i mean it is aggressive 
And it does, it is one of those, it's got a nice little ominous intro, but then just drops straight into the riff and the growl vocals with no messing, a real wall of noise stuff. That's one thing they're really yeah. good at, actually, is the wall of sound. Um, totally agree. But as we said before, with really good production, you can hear everything, but it's just there's so much of it <laughs> that it makes this wall Yeah, of I mean, sound. they got a whistle thrown in there, yeah, like right, right at 30 seconds in. That's where I was like, oh, is a Slipknot? Like, I- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Slipknot influence is clear, along with the Metallica influence, you know, with there's a lot of percussion and extra sort of synth blasts and stuff in there. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's a good contrast between, because he's growling, is a, that's a real proper, deep, aggressive growl. Um, and then when he sings clean, as you say, it's kind of a sort of, you know, bit Hetfield, bit Chuck Billy, very traditional thrash clean, I guess you'd say. Um yes. But that first line of the, uh, sorry, second line of the chorus, when he sings, I looked inside to see me die. And the little, like, you know, up and down the semitones bit at the end of that die. line that he does is so Hetfield. It's like, it, it is act- 100% it, Hetfield. It actually made me laugh the first time I heard it, because I was like, wow, that is talk about wearing your influences on your sleeve. <laughs> A hundred percent. But then, of course, like, he does is- it many times throughout the album. That act, that particular uh you know semitone rise and fall which is a hepfield signature he does it a lot on the you know on several songs on this album and so it's clearly just become part of his own way of singing um, right it's part of who he is for yeah, sure yeah absolutely i tell you one of the things i know one of the things i love in this track which again repeats in several tracks throughout the album is that you're right that there aren't a lot of solos i mean there's a very short solo in this one which is quite good uh, but yeah, it is, yep. it's, it's one of the longest solos on the album and it's only about 20 seconds long. Uh, but the lead guitar also does a lot of, it contributes to that wall of sound a lot in the chorus. He's just doing this loop of tapping on the lead guitar, uh, underneath the vocals, you know, and over yep. the, the rhythm. And he does that in several songs on this album. And it's re- again, really effective in creating that sort of wall of sound just making everything feel really in your face and overwhelming it's a nice it's a nice touch i think it's i think it's always good when lead guitarists because you can tell by listening to the few solos he does he's clearly a very very technically skilled lead guitarist but so i think it's nice when they kind of are able to subsume the guitarist's ego a little bit uh, <laughs> and do that sort of stuff underneath vocals to contribute to the overall melody and I think maybe th- it it also helps when like you're you're responsible for the whole operation, right? So it's not like that's True. your only time to shine and your only time to to do that. But I agree with you. I like that he it's always in service of the song as opposed to a departure from the song. Um, and the solo is good. Like and and I not that I'm bummed that we didn't get more of them because I don't know that a lot of the other songs would be appropriate for a solo, but uh, he's clearly a great player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, very aggressive. Like you said, wall of sound, uh, relentless and, and overwhelming at times. And I think de- obviously deliberately so, right. Yeah, and so, yeah. um, but they do a really good job of building that wall of sound and then like it crashing upon you. Uh, I think they, they do a really good job of, and you get all of that. And that's kind of the cool thing about this first song, even though it is a little bit more traditional in some ways, you get all the elements in this song that you're going to get throughout the rest of the album. And so it, it's a good opener. It serves its purpose for sure. Yeah. I think the only thing we don't get in this particular track is a dropout 
which does happen in a few of the later tracks. Um, uh, but it has pretty much all the other elements, as you say, that you're going to find in the album. So, yeah, it's a good opener, very aggressive, very in your face. Uh, nice, good, sharp, hard ending as well, which everybody knows that I, yeah, I'm always a fan of. Um, so, yeah, I, as an opening track, it's, uh, it's absolutely you know top-notch. And then leads into track two, which is the effectively title track of the album, North Star of Nija. my favorite song on the album oh interesting okay i freaking love this song um it's just like because the first song was so aggressive you almost feel like maybe this song is is taking it down a notch from what you got with the first song but by the end of it oh yeah no <laughs> like so i think they do which i think they do a good job of subverting expectations a lot throughout this album like they're not they to me at least like they were never making the uh to go back to our perception action cycle discussion from early or in the episode like they never were making the thing i predicted them to make the direction i predicted them to go the thing that i thought was coming next and so i was mm. constantly like pleasantly surprised which i think is why it takes a few listens to get through because they're not they're they're kind of moving the goalposts on you um constantly there so yeah this this second song i thought at first that it wasn't going to be as powerful as aggressive as the first song that we got but man when you get to that riff at about three minutes and 15 seconds yeah it's so good it's like a chef's kiss riff, (laughs) like there and just the the build of that and the growl that the sort of growl almost scream that kind of builds behind that like man yeah awesome yeah, no, I mean, that, that's one thing he is very good at. It's, I mean, this follows my, uh, I've often said that a lot of bands seem to, they'll they'll kick off with something in your face to grab you and tell you what you're going to get. And then the second track is often the catchy one. Um, and I mean, there aren't many songs on this album that you genuinely call catchy, <laughs> um, but this is one of them. Uh, and it, it genuinely is kind of, you know, not just the chorus, but even the riff is a much catchier riff than the first track you know it's a little bit bouncy even yeah yeah definitely bouncy um and it's got that halftime rolling tom pre-chorus thing which again is very sort of you know you've heard that many many times in uh from other bands in other tracks but it works really well here and it's interesting what you're saying about defying expectations because they you i had the same experience but i put that down to my own lack of 
experience with bands like Gojira and Behemoth. Um, yes, you know, I'm not probably into those bands. And so I wonder if I was more, maybe this album wouldn't have felt so off kilter at times, but I should hasten to add that that wasn't in a bad way at all. As you said, it was interesting. It made me go, Oh, okay, hang on. I need to listen to this again to right, yeah, maybe totally. try and appreciate it. Um, the chorus, I think this chorus isn't quite as good as track one, but it is pretty good. And it's got, again, the lead guitar adding to the wall of sound. In yes. it. I think there's a big Slipknot influence, uh, sort of, if the first track had a big Metallica influence, this track has a big Slipknot influence, especially in the, uh, when he starts singing, fighting, surviving for life, that bit yep. that, and it's got percussion firing off in the background as well. And the blast beats and stuff. And that just, that felt to me like a big, you know, here's our Slipknot tribute thing. Um, also maybe a little bit of Lincoln park too. Like I kind of sprinkled into that sort of thing. Like I, I feel like he's got a little bit of Chester in some of his delivery at times. Um, not, not as, uh, pronounced, but it's kind of there. Um, now that you've said actually, I, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of that at all, but now that you've said it, thinking about this track specifically, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and and so, but then, man, once once you get to the thrash moment of this song, it just like is, it's so good, and it, <laughs> it feels perfect at the time. Like it feels at right at the right moment, and it feels like it is what the song needs. Which is, we talked about before, like maybe some of the songs need some fine tuning, and they don't. I felt like this song, when they change it up, it was perfectly timed See, uh, and it fit together really well i'm not sure i agree because interesting i i mean i do like the the thrashy bit uh you know at the end i i think it's a good bit by itself but if i have a criticism of this song it's that it feels like there is a little too much crammed in here in a relatively short time like this song's only just over five minutes long and yet yep. there are loads of lyrics, loads of different riffs, loads of sections. You know, it, it kind of verges on the sort of math prog end of things in places. And I just think that it could have dropped some of those bits, maybe put them in other songs or whatever, but, you know, could have just dropped some of those bits or had less of certain bits and been a better song for it. I think that overall it's a good opening riff. It's a good chorus. And yes, that the last 90 seconds where it blasts away, you know, that is good, but I just think a better arrangement of those parts would have made a better song of it. Um, you know, this is, I talked about, I mentioned this before, you know, this is kind of the story of this album for me is that it is good and I enjoy it, but more, much like we were saying about Havoc actually, or not Havoc. Um, sorry, the other uh, gate creeper, you know, it's kind of, yeah. it feels like an album where you're listening to potential and you're like, okay, now I really want to hear what the next album sounds like if they keep improving like this. Um, and I think this track for me is emblematic of that on this album. Um, so track three. Uh, lyrically, we haven't, we haven't oh, talked. I just want to touch real quick on oh, uh, yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. lyrics here. Uh, one particular passage, I've lived through some gray days, but I've never really given it a thought how I live, how it's feasting on me, how it's taking me. And that, I think, really hits on a lot of the sort of struggle aspect that you see played out in the lyrics throughout the rest of the album. Just the, you know, the idea of like what that, what that struggle with mental illness has cost and what 
and how it's it, it just never ends. Yeah. You know, just that that whole um sort of thing and and just kind of stopping to process that sometimes. Um but yeah, this this song overall uh maybe my favorite one on the album. Mm. Well, and I mentioned uh, the section earlier, the lyrics of that section, fighting, surviving for life. No one will ever see the truth, leaving the world to die. No one will ever see the truth. I'm like, okay, that's, I get that. Yeah. I think, you know, most of us can probably relate to a time in our life when we kind of felt like that. Um, Yeah. As you say, it is very, it's very stark. The, uh, the place that he's in and the things he's working through on uh, this album and definitely on this song. So let's move on to track uh, three then, and that is Day of the Cloud. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't uh, get any brighter uh, moving into song three here. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly Uh, doesn't. This song, I think, has... This one felt like the first song off of Yom's Viking from Amon Amarth. Like, I just felt like this... There's a great build. There's the... Just the... The pick slide there. the, the, The riff, just the breakneck pace of it. Just crushing and brutal. And so I think, again, we talk about like the first three songs of an album and stuff like that. You've been given now a nice sort of broad stroke over these three songs here. And I think each one of them is delivering something a little bit different. And this one, to me, just uh, I love the way this song comes in. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, the the intro they are really good at those ominous atmospheric intros yeah, dude. and then slamming in with the riff. I mean, if anything they maybe do it a little too much. It becomes a bit formulaic by the end, but it, it does work. It is really good. Um the off rhythm pre-chorus in this track is so hard to get a grip on. <laughs> it's like, you know, God knows I've listened to it so many times and trying to sort of like follow along and figure it out. It is so arbitrary. Um, I mean, I like it for that because it does really throw you off balance. Um, I think they do it a little too much in this track. I think they use that too many times. Like, I don't think it should be in the post chorus as well, because I think that's just gratuitous, but it is effective. Um, and again, another good chorus, really good, you know, sort of not exactly soaring guitar chords, but you know, that it drives along and it is melodic. Um, and I, I also like that. They take a few bars to breathe before launching into the chorus each time. 
Uh, I think you mentioned that at the start and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's what another thing that they do really well is build up to the chorus. And then the chorus is that wall of sound that hits you. Um, and then you get the, the dropout and this is the first track about three minutes in everything drops out and you get those sort of semi clean bits that then build back up again to a a full-on gent ending let's not be oh, man. The bush. At, at like 425 it yeah. kicks into just killer gear it, re- it really is yeah yeah but this is the first track to do that and then again from this point onwards they do it a fair few times on the album but again it's effective and it, it works and because they are quite happy to use synths and sound effects and pads and, you know, sort of not just two guitars and a drum kit and what have you. Um, it, it works really well because it creates that kind of atmospheric soundscape, uh, which fits with the album art as well, actually. That's one of the reasons why I think the art is so good because it feels like it fits this album so well. Um, and yeah, just results in, yeah, I wouldn't say this is my favourite track in the album, but it is, it's a very good one. Uh, it's, like I say, it, I just wish, again... I, I wish it had been massaged a bit more, but it's uh, it's certainly one that I sing along to. Yeah, I could see this being a song where you, you would like to see them sand a couple of the edges on it. Um, yeah. Because for me, I think the the beginning and the ending of the song, the bookends of the song, are what make it for me. Oh, right, yeah. Okay, not the chorus. No, not because again, to me, it's it's uh, it's a little bit Lincoln, and I I'm saying it almost in a negative way. Like Lincoln Park wasn't one of my big. I wasn't a huge fan uh, of Lincoln Park, and so it, and that's just what my sort of <laughs> where I go to in that. I don't. I'm not as much in love with the chorus in this one, mm, okay. um, but I love the way it comes in, and I love that when it kicks into at about four twenty five with that brutal. Uh, just riff and build. It's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so overall, like it's one of those, like at the end of the day, it comes out on the plus side for me, even though like all all the ingredients I'm not totally on board with. All right. Well, then I'll be interested to hear what you think of the chorus in uh, track four, because that is behold. I tried so hard to keep the feeling So this one, I mean, the the sort of acoustic bit that we get here, the clean opening, um, but then it really, at one point to me, feels very ministry. That's oh. a that's a band that I feel like is a they don't, and it's funny because they didn't mention that in their like 
influences, but I find it hard to believe that ministry is not a big influence on this band. Um, Cause I just felt like that in several songs, it just felt, felt very ministry to me, especially when it gets like almost uh, like overwhelming, mm. um, like wall of sane wall of sound sort of stuff. Um, I mean, overall I like this song and I like the, uh, to me, the lyrics are the thing that kind of pull me into the song. There's a, there's a couple passages here where, you know, I've tried so hard to find the healing, being sane, tired body, just like the exhaustion of having to try to keep yourself together at yeah. times. Um, and and then I tried so hard to keep the demons in me, like just trying, like it reminded me of the thing where he was talking about, like he finally talked to his dad, you know, after kind of struggling with this and found out like, oh, he struggled with this too. But just that idea of like trying to keep it all inside, trying to keep yourself together, like not reaching out for help, that kind of stuff um, really resonated with me uh, in this song. And I, and he does this thing in this song too, which I feel is very sort of Hetfield esque where uh, he goes, go like he just yells, go. (laughs) And that like, I feel like that's very uh, Hetfield esque and comes up. uh, It's a recurring theme, you know, for them. Yeah. I'd you're right that semi-acoustic opening with a bit of piano in there as well that's very nice um but i this is one where i absolutely love the chorus more than i think anything else in this song you've got it's it's half time you've got the lead doing that tapping loop again i think the lyrics of the chorus are great it's a good melody it's a proper you know you can really sort of sing along to this chorus but also just with great lyrics i am what i am behold my future i mean that, that's pretty good um yeah uh, and you've got the held lead notes that lead out of the chorus into the next verse as well that's it's a small thing but like they almost sound like a synth but they're not. And it's just, for me, that's really effective. And again, you've got another, this is another track where they hold before the chorus and then burst in with it, uh, which really works for me. That bridge riff, the first few bars of that bridge riff is so Metallica. It's like you talk about the, you know, the Hetfield influence and stuff, but then you get that screaming synth and the semitone. Yes. And that's where I think you're right. The ministry influence comes through, even though they don't name them. And I wonder if that's just because like Metallica ministry have been such an influence on the genre as a whole. Yeah. That that it's not even something you would immediately mention at first. Right. You may not even consciously realize, Oh, this is a ministry thing. (laughs) Um, But to go back to like the held notes and stuff like that, like they just do such a good job of building atmosphere in these songs as well. And there's another part, you know, in the lyrics where he says, are you me? Which I think, you know, he's kind of reaching out to, to people around that. And, uh, and I feel like that's a Metallica influence too. I feel like Metallica in a lot of their early stuff, you know, uh, so many people resonated with Metallica, not just because of the music, but also because of some of the messages there. And I feel like he's, he's trying to reach out in some of these songs as well to people who are listening to the music. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then the ending is heavy as hell. Like the ending yeah. of this track is <laughs> that is just pounding. <laughs> and that's kind of a recurring theme too, right? Like just this, like they hit you hard on the way out of a yeah. lot of their songs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But again, it works. It's effective. You know, it's a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, you've been had, <laughs> you know, you've been hit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a love tap. Yeah. All right. Track five is called open eye. 
Uh, this one, another, I feel like the strong, the, the ministry influence is strong here. Um, yeah. The, also, the this is one of, of those songs. And stuff, yeah. Yeah, dude. And, and this is another song to me where he sounds like Chuck Billy. Like I just get a real uh, practice what you preach vibe oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. off of, you know, this song. And, and to me, this song is about intrusive thoughts. That's what I, I take away um, from the lyrics here but his his delivery sounding like a very young chuck billy like this this song has a very testament vibe to me um even though you could easily say that it's it's a heavy metallica influence in it as well but you also have that kind of horror movie uh manic panic driven vibe atmosphere going on in this song as well and you get another go <laughs> from you yeah. get another headfield esque go in this song as well but uh I really, I really like this song. This might be maybe my second favorite song on. I didn't rank them at all, but I definitely, uh, I so definitely like the song. There are a few tracks on this album which have, well, first of all, several of their videos are almost like mini horror movies, uh, and that's another yes. thing that Nicholas talks about is that he's a huge horror movie fan, and I think yep. you can probably tell that. Um, there are several songs on this album that feel almost like they are sort of designed to have that frantic feel of running away from a monster. Yes. A hundred percent. You know, and I, and I wonder how much of that is the horror movie influence and how much of it is the mental health stuff. And, you know, the two kind of mashed together. This is definitely one of them. I agree with that. Um, it's, and you're, yeah, again, the industrial influences, the bursts of static, the synths, you've got pick slides going crazy all over the intro as well. Um, uh, there's a nice little Eastern influenced lead line after the second chorus. It's literally the only time it's there in the song is like you often say about the Slayer bits. It's the only place it appears in the song and there's nothing and else like, quite. More. Yeah. There's nothing else quite like it on the album either, which is a shame because I don't really like it. Um, the only, the weird thing about this song for me, I do like it, but the weird thing about it is that it feels to me like the chorus and pre-chorus are the wrong way around. Musically, I mean. Interesting. Like, musically, the the taking my world, knowing nothing's here bit, that sounds more like a build-up. And then the I believe that it's something here section, that sounds more like a chorus to me. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It, and I, I mean, who's right, who's wrong? Well, you know, there is no right or wrong. But it's one of those, it's one of those things where the, as you were talking about before, the expectations that you might yeah, have. being of, subverted. You know, Right, being completely subverted. Now, in this case, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you know, that's a that's a personal taste issue. But it just felt a bit weird when I heard it. I was like, wait, that sounds more like the chorus. How strange. And I don't know. I'd love to know if they ever tried swapping them around and maybe, you know, decided one was better than the other. I don't know. Yeah, and I think there's times on this album where you still, I'm still undecided about whether it's a good thing or a bit, like the subverted expectations yeah, thing, yeah. right? Like, it, which again, I think just makes me want to spend more time with it, which is ultimately a good thing um, to kind of see where I ultimately rest on that stuff. But yeah, um, I, I really dig this song. Lyrically, I just want to, the line, I believe what I feel, not what I see. I believe in the thing that's haunting me. That's That's good, yep. man. That's some good lyrics. There's, dude, there's a lot of good ones in here. What was the other one that I, uh, you know, uh, the fight has made me to believe that I'm not me. And then there's another line in here about, 
Uh, yeah, that's like it. all Scandinavians. His English is excellent, but his English lyrics sometimes are a bit weird. <laughs> and I don't know whether that's deliberate. <laughs> yeah, totally, dude. But I, I, that I believe in the thing that's haunting me is like really powerful stuff. It really is. All right, moving on to track six. Kind of the centerpiece of the album, I feel. Mirror Slave. We talked about the Metallica influence, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I almost feel like this This reminds me of uh, whatever song Avenged Sevenfold did, where it was like, wow, you really like Sad But True. I was going to say, if you couldn't guess, this is, and he's talked about this, he's quite openly said that this song is his homage to Sad But True. And it's like, really? I couldn't tell. <laughs> right. Yeah. There is no subverting expectations. <laughs> With the approach to this song. No. Um, not that it's a bad song, but I think eh, the problem I have with it is I don't like Sad But True as a song. And so uh, that pulls me out of it. It's it's close enough where I'm like, Ugh, that's not. Um, so this is really the first song of the, of the first six songs on the album that kind of loses me a little bit. Um, I think they do a good job with it, and I think their execution of it is good. Maybe... To me, I like this song better than Sad But True, so it it keeps me in it. But just that, just the way it opens, I'm like, wow, okay, we're doing this. Man, them's fighting words. Like, I <laughs> okay. So first of all, I love Sad But True. It's one of my favorite uh-huh. songs on the Black Album. Um, you're right that I mean that's the danger of doing a track that is such an obvious homage. If is if people don't like the original, they ain't gonna like this one. Uh, you know, that's right. the risk you take. But like, I do. I love Sad But True. Like I say, it's one of my favorite tracks on that album. Uh, and so I love this. And actually, this is probably my favorite track on this album. Uh, not because it sounds like Sad But True, but just because I do love that track. And, you know, I love this track in the same way. Not because it sounds like it per se, but just because it has some of those same elements that make me love Sad But True in the first place. Um it's another one with a nice build. You've got the synths and the really hard-edged uh-huh. chug uh, kind of assembling the riff. You know those intros where the, you, they, you get a few more notes of the riff with each yes. bar? I like those. I've always been a fan of those. Um, the pre-chorus with the distorted vocals, the only place on the album I think that he has that he uses a distortion box on his vocals and that sort of clattering I even, percussion. 
Did you not notice? I did not even note that. Well, yeah. I, I, now that you say it, yes, but I didn't at the time. Like it wasn't the thing that stuck out to me. So yeah, no, I, I, so I think it's the only place on the album where he does it as well. And yeah, the, this clattering percussion, which is uh, nice, and then yeah, the chorus itself, which as I say, it, I mean, it is really <laughs> like a carbon copy of Sad but True almost. Um, but one of the reasons that I like Sad but True, as I say, is okay. So and this is getting into real music nerd territory i suppose but rock music happens on the two and the four boom 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 that's the emphasis one and two and three and four funk music happens on the one and the three that's funk as opposed to rock this chorus all the emphasis and the same is is the case in Sabbath True, all the emphasis is on that first chord, that first low boom. That's the yep. that's the emphasis. And like I say, that is that's basically funk rather than rock. But obviously it's within the context of a rock track. And so and I should point out I am a big fan of funk and soul music. And so there's something about marrying those two together that just really gets me, that really appeals to me. And if he hadn't done that, and the rest of the track had been, you know, the same uh, Sabbath True homage, I don't think it would have worked as well for me. But because that is there, because he's kept that influence, I think that's part of, whether it's whether he knows why or not, you know, but I think that's part of why this track appeals to me so well and why the chorus is one of my favourite choruses on the album. It just, everything fits together really, really well. Um, but... Here's what I mean, you know, nothing's perfect. Here's what I mean about too much. You've got that bridge and the bit with the the young boy, young girl lines. Again, a lot of lyrics in this song, um, which I like. But then the after that, you get a sort of another builder with synths and he sings over it. And I just don't think there's a need for it. I think there's, and this is what I mean about sort of developing and evolving as an artist. I think... There are some areas where he could just let the music do the work and speak for itself. uh, And instead he sings over them. And I don't think there's a need for it, especially in tracks like this where the lyrics are, what he's singing isn't really anything new that you haven't heard in the song already, you know? Right. And I think with the structure of it, when it opens is simplistic, not, not simplistic, but it's, it's concrete enough that you don't need to overcomplicate it. Yeah. Right. And you almost get to a point where where you're just kind of piling on when you don't. For this song, this song didn't necessarily need that. No. Exactly. Yeah. But still, nevertheless, as I say, I think you know, unlike you, <laughs> probably my favorite track <laughs> on the album. I think that says everything, doesn't it? Uh, but let's move on then to track seven, Nensha. Yeah. 
Yes. Now, this is the first of what they call this sort of trilogy of major songs to round out. And uh, and the next two songs are almost exactly the, the same length, like 549 for yeah. Densha, 548 for uh, Rebirth. Um, yeah, this is this one kicks into kind of a thrashy, grindy sort of riff. It, it's another one that has uh, sort of this whine in the background. It again, great sort of atmosphere. There's a there's a part of the song at about three forty four where it gets more almost like dreamy, and you have that uh, female chorus in the background. And so it has this almost like ethereal quality to it at times, which I really like. And this song as a whole almost feels like there's an ebb and a flow to it that is a a contrast, I think, to Mirror Slave, which we just had, which Mm -hmm. felt like Mirror Slave to me felt a lot more concrete. This one to me feels a little more nebulous. Yeah, a little more dreamy. Yeah, exactly. A little more dreamy. And and actually, I wrote 344, gets more dreamy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that intro like has even got sort of whispered ghost-like voices yes. on it as well. Um, I mean, do you... So I looked it up. Nensha is... I think this... And this is, again goes to Nicholas's love of horror movies. I think this track, and maybe the whole trilogy, but certainly the track is, influent, is uh, inspired by The Ring. Um uh, Nensha oh, is the Japanese term for what we call thoughtography, which is the the supposed psychic ability to make images appear on photographic film with the power of the mind, um, which is referenced in The Ring. And I, I do wonder if, given that you know he's said that he's a fan of that movie, I wonder if that's you know where he got it from. Um, well, and I feel like the, these songs are uh, especially given his you know harm OCD that he talked about. Uh, before and intrusive thoughts and like acting on them to me this is where you're seeing his struggle of yeah this idea that there are thoughts that are occurring in your head but it takes you to make those thoughts real it takes you to act upon those thoughts right and and there's a part where he says beware of this dark it's only in your head beware of yourself the hammer won't lift itself Mm. and you know just this idea that like recognizing that this is a thought that's in your head and letting it sort of come and go because without you acting on it, it's just a thought in your head. It takes you and that goes back to what you talked about, like about, about like thoughts made real, like in order for this to manifest itself, you have to act. And if you, if you understand that this is just a thought in your head, then you can keep yourself from doing that sort of thing. Well, and there's, there's that line, which is repeated several times throughout the song, the birth of a sickness in me, which is, again, you know, if you if you were in any doubt as to what these lyrics are about. Um, yeah, And it's you know, sad, it's- dude, because like when he talks about that, like, and again, I'm going off of one article that I read, uh, you know, in this particular situation. But it certainly seems like from that story that he told that there is an event that was so traumatic that it triggered this within him. Mm. Right. And whether it is something that was in his family history and whether it was something that eventually he would have struggled with anyways, there was a trauma. And then the effect of that was was him starting to do. So this idea of like something being birthed in him, right? Something being awoken in him, something, you know, that that sort of came up to the surface is but like. it was always there. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, that and there's parts of lyrics here and I don't know <clears throat> if it's the next song or not. But this idea of like getting over, like 
getting past it at times, but knowing it can always come back sort of yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Um, but that that particular passage here, you know, beware of the dark, it's only in your head, beware of yourself, the hammer won't lift itself, was super powerful. Yeah. I want to draw people's attention to the quote-unquote metal work on the drums in this track. There is some lovely some lovely little bits of, you know, like metal percussion uh, going on here, which is just really effective. I like that. I also really like that in the middle of the chorus, which is proper heavy growl, you know, deep live stuff. Suddenly there's two lines where he just sings clear. Uh, the hold on to life falling through ice bits, another Metallica influence, I'm sure. But, you know, just suddenly in the middle, of, and then it goes back to the to the growling heavy bit again it's such a that's a proper subverting expectations thing like you know i don't care who you're listening to that's nobody's expecting that um but it works really well i think because it is that moment of relief given that the rest of the song is so very very heavy um right until it drops out and you get that semi-acoustic bit as you said about three minutes 30 in but up until then it is a pretty brutal, relentless track, apart from those two clean sung lines, um, which is, yeah, I think that's a nice touch. Yeah, that's more of that, please. Um, the end of this song is a bit sort of math rock in places, which I'm not yeah. mad keen on because uh, I'm, I'm just not wild about math rock. Um, but yeah, it is. It's a good track. It's definitely one of the, uh, you know, one of the top tracks on the album. Um, but as you said, it is part of this, apparently part of this loose trilogy of tracks. And the next one, track eight, is Rebirth. This is all I have to say. This is all that's left of me. In the shell I live through hell. Walking eyes Yeah, and this song goes some places. Like it, it to me, it almost feels like, especially with the title "Rebirth," like it almost feels like it starts on a more hopeful tone. But it, it it's long. got this. <laughs> no, no, not for long. And you know, it it's really the the contrast between the clean uh, vocals and the more growly vocals. Like that contrast is really that push and pull sort of struggle. Um, I think that, and, and again, some powerful lyrics here. One of the ones that jumped out at me, pain in silence sets free chaos. Mm. I thought was just super powerful, right? Like this idea of like suffering in silence and the effect that it has on you and everybody else around you um, was really, really sort of powerful. Um, and then he's talking about, I've always sung the words and songs of death. I, you know, I'd never let you go so far from my heart, but the clock is ticking. 
like to me there's some stuff in there about like relationships that that he's trying to hold on to but also like not being able to share what's um you know what he's really kind of struggling with yeah i mean it, it goes from feeling a little more hopeful at the beginning to really having this just this idea of this constant struggle right um and and then it goes like there's a, a the part where they the keyboards really kick up uh, and the sense really kick up is almost like this descent into madness sort of uh, mm. sort of vibe to it. It's a v- very atmospheric uh, in sort of the the ebbs and the flows of this song. I would say the whole song is really atmospheric. Yeah, that I mean, it's the closest you could say it's the closest thing to a ballad that they have, but it's not really a yeah. ballad. Um, it's just that it starts, as you say, with clean vocals and you know, sort of a bit of acoustic guitar and stuff. Uh, but yeah, the the lyrics are still very very dark. Um, the chorus I like, but it feels there's something about his vocals that don't work for me on it. It feels like he's straining and just not quite pulling it off. And it's not that he's not hitting the notes. He is, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like he's comfortable singing it. And I just mean literally Uh physically, vocally comfortable, um, for some reason. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's good. Uh, and then you get the dropout, and as you say, the synths and the drums, it almost sounds like it's gone a bit sort of medieval in, in a weird way, uh, but that is really effective. Uh, and then you mentioned... Yeah, there's not, like a trumpet-like effect. Yeah, that's what made me think of medieval. I was thinking of somebody like, you know, blowing down the walls of Jericho. Or something. Um, yeah, totally, yeah. You mentioned Amon Amarth earlier. Now, I wouldn't have mentioned them in relation to this band necessarily, except for this track. I think. The pray for brighter days section when he gets to that, there's something uh-huh. about that, and maybe it's just because he talks about you know shores and oceans, but there's something musically about that section that rem- makes me think of a monomath. Um, you know, it's a bit sort of martial, well, especially because that Yams Viking album is such an album about a journey. Yeah, true, true, and and there is sort of a. a- the journey thread kind of going through this um, like I say, it's this trilogy just, of songs, but this song too. It's not just lyrical. It's the song about musically about it's kind of, it yeah. feels like you're marching off to war sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. But then you get another bit and they do this a lot, a bit like typo negative uh, used to, you get this bit at the end, which sounds like a whole new song is starting. And it's for one verse, like for one verse, you <laughs> yeah. get something that has nothing to do with anything that came before, uh, but only for one verse. It's very odd. But I like the uh, synths at the end as well, because that makes it, you get like an, quite a lot, I think it's like 45 seconds or something of just this synthy bit at the end. It's very weird and spooky. Make It sort of, you know, spiritually matches it to the previous song, I feel. Um, but yeah, re- really good song. Um, and then, so track nine is not the last song on the album, but it is the last song with lyrics. And the final yes. song is a very short instrumental. So you are effectively now going into the last song of the album, which is track nine, The Shadowing. Your time, your death, the burning of 
which in the beginning sounds like, uh, and it's not necessarily distorted, but it almost sounds like he's trying to break through the song with the vocals. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Like it, it just feels like he's, he's, uh, uh, like caught up in it and almost trying to, to break through the, this song, uh, to me is a nice, it, it's a nice passing of the baton from the song before it. And it feels like a little more, um, not that it's not atmospheric, but a little more urgent, I think, than the song before mm. it. Yeah. Well, it feels like a climax doesn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, the whole song does feel, and this is one where the, uh, the, the music video is very much filmed like a, as I say, like a horror movie. Um, I mean, again, it's, there is, this song does follow the quote unquote formula a little bit. You've got that synthy atmospheric intro with a bit of percussion and then it drops straight into the riff. And we've heard that quite a few times on this album now, but yep. it's also, it's a bloody good riff. <laughs> It's a yeah, really, oh, really good riff. So I, you know, that's fine. Okay. I'll, I'll let you off. Um, I'm not so sold on the pre-chorus of this one, but the chorus makes up for it. That chorus, I believe I will die once I see you here yes. with him screaming in the background as well with the, the, his own backing vocals, as it were. Um, this is one that they did in those live in studio sessions and it's really powerful. They're really powerful. I mean, again, you can hear the backing tracks. He's clearly singing along to his own backing track, but still uh, it really, really works. Um, I also like that this is the, tr- finally, finally, this is the track where they let the clean, semi-acoustic bit speak for itself and he doesn't sing over it and i think it really works as a result it's you know it helps the song breathe a little and then of course it roars back in with the synths the choir strings drums guitars it's like (laughs) everything they've got is suddenly being thrown at you for the final moments of the song um and again you know we've said it several times this wall of sound uh just comes at you for the end of this song and just wallops you around the head. But it's again, really effective. Well, and I think, I mean, you just hit on, I think one of the core vibes of this album, right? It's just that, uh, and I keep saying ebb and flow, but it's almost like really more of like a cycle, right? Where it's mm. like, especially cause lyrically he's talking about this struggle of like, uh, you know, making it through these dark periods of time, but knowing that one can come back at any time and dreading the fact that when it does, he, he there's this battle to either give in or, or fight through it in order to kind of make it through to the other side. Mm. And just like you said, this idea of like, there's a part of the song where it breathes and then they come back and throw everything at you. And I think that just that vibe in and of itself is really, um, he does a good job of mirroring the sort of struggle that he's talking about in his lyrics sometimes with the atmosphere that the song is providing in terms of that uh, sort of, you know, building up your strength for the onslaught that's about to come sort of thing. And uh, it's very effective. Yeah. Like metaphorically matching the Absolutely. music to the lyrics. I mean, the, the chorus, I believe I'll die once I see you here. I believe I'll die once the scar opens again. I believe yep. I'll fight it again to watch you leave. Everything that you said is just, it's all there, isn't it? It's like, yep. it never, it never truly dies. And I have to fight it off every single time. Otherwise I will die. Um, right. Yeah. It's, that's powerful. And just the fact that he dreads it and he knows what a fight it's going to be and, you know, but he's going to do it. Right. And so, um, 
you know, again, when we talk about what these, what this music, what these lyrics, what this kind of thing can mean for others who are listening to this and kind of, uh, you know, um, taking their own messages from it and things like that. It's uh, he puts a lot of himself out there on this album, I think to the benefit of people who may be listening to it. Mm, I agree. And then, yeah, as I said, track 10 is just a short instrumental and that's called set us free. Just like the breathe, like the recovery, right? Like the like the breathing, the you know the the sort of catching your breath, and um, you but know, it feels almost like a coda to the shadowing yeah. to me because the 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 strings and the chord changes in it call back to the previous song, call back to yes. the strings of the previous song. Uh, if you didn't I, know that it was a separate track, you probably would just assume that it's sort of the end of. Well, and I think the, the first before. few times I listened to this album, actually, that's exactly what happened, was that I just assumed yeah. it was the end of track nine. I didn't realise it was a separate track. Um, I mean, they're not, I don't think they're quite exactly the same strings and chords, but they are very, very close. And certainly... They're, they're close enough where yeah. it feels like part of the same song. They evoke the song, exactly, yeah. Uh, but it, it's well done, you know. It's Now, does it make you want to <laughs> go back to the start and listen again? I'm honestly not sure because this is such a relentless album. It is so punishing. I like it a lot, but I don't think it's the sort of album that I would necessarily want to listen to on a loop, you know? No, yeah, this album is an experience and it's not meant to hook you in that way, I don't think. Mm. I think it's meant to sit with you for a while and it does that. Like you're still listening to this album in your head when this album is over. And so I think purposefully it does not, and maybe that's why you have that little instrumental at the end to just kind of ease you out of the, of the album is because you're not meant to just immediately flip it over and start over again. You know, it, it's, you're, you're meant to go and and just sort of absorb that for a little while. And, but I think you find your way back to it later. Right. So this was, it's interesting you, you mentioned that because like, in prepping for this episode, like there are albums that we talk about on the show where I'll listen to 25 times, you know, and three times in a row before we sit down to record it. Right. And this is not one of those albums. This is not an album that I just could continue to listen to over and over and over again. It's an album that I listen to and I marinate on it. And then I take a break from it and then I'll come back a few days later and I'll listen to it again and I'll marinate on it and then I'll go. And so I, I don't, I think it's effective as a, as you know, the closing of this album. And I think it breaks the rule that we talk about a lot, which is, you know, it doesn't make you want to flip the album right over. But I think, I don't think this album is meant for that. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, rules are there meant to be broken, aren't they? Right. So, uh, totally. Yeah. But I agree with you. It is, it's the album as a whole is one that I don't want to listen to on repeat, but that does stay with me both lyrically and musically. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's sort of an album that you can think about that you genuinely can sit there and contemplate. 
uh, which isn't always true, let's be honest, of, you know, your average right. metal or thrash album. Uh, you know, it's true of the better ones, but that's why I think this is one of the better ones. Again, like I said about the Gate Creeper album, Creeper album, is it perfect? No. Do I think they can still improve? Absolutely, yes. But uh, I will be watching them and hoping they improve because if they continue on this trajectory and if, as I said, like if you know, my opinion, if they kind of rein in some of their excesses uh, and maybe have a second pair of ears to help Nicholas arrange the songs, I think the next thing they produce could be an absolute blinder. It could be a real breakthrough for them. I certainly hope yeah. so. Yeah, I really enjoyed this album. Uh, it's a powerful album. It's an emotional album. And I didn't know anything about this band going in. And so I'm super impressed with yeah with this band coming out the other side and glad I got a chance to experience that. Not, a, not a band that I would have even, you know, stopped scrolling through recommendations to necessarily look at because their name doesn't imply, you know, uh, it, it doesn't give you anything to sort of go no. off of. Right. But I'm, I'm glad that I got a chance to spend some time with this album. It's, it's a good album. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So the next episode is going to be uh, the Listener Choice. Yes. It's going to be this volume's Listener Choice. And so I have here uh, the list of um, uh, nominated tracks. So hang on a second. Let me get everything on screen. Go to random.org. I apologize for not having done this uh, in advance, but here we go. Right, there's random.org. So we have... Where are the numbers? We have da, 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 57 nominations. Now, some of those are for multiple albums. Uh, a lot of people, like three people, all nominated uh, Gojira's album Magma, for example. Uh-huh. Um, two people nominated Power Trip's Nightmare Logic. Two people nominated Rats Out of the Cellar. Uh, uh-huh. you know, so uh, two people nominated an Unleash the Archers album, uh, as well. So, you know, there are several albums in here that have been nominated by more than one person, but nevertheless, as I say, 57, uh, nominations. So I am going to go to random.org. I'm going to put in actually from two to 58 rather than one to 57, just because of the way spreadsheets work. And let's see what it comes up with. Clicking it now. Oh. Hang on, sorry. Cookies. God, the modern web. <laughs> and the results. Oh, wow, it's high up there. It is number six. And that is, oh, <laughs> there are a couple of people in the group who are going to be very, very happy about this. It is the Beast Wars album, Beast Wars. As oh, nomi- okay. As nominated by Brian Bibb. Andrew Salmond also nominated a Beast Wars album, but he nominated the album four. Uh, he came, so it came above that. So, yeah. Yeah, doing the Beast Wars are for those who don't know are a New Zealand uh, metal album, sort of groove, groove, heavy stuff. Um, yeah, uh, which is why Andrew's a fan because he's from New Zealand. Uh, yeah, Beast Wars, Beast Wars. Okay, that's going to be next uh, episode's listener choice poll. Thank you everybody I for love, taking part. I love that because I love when we get an album through the listener choice poll that would not have been something that either one of us would have picked. And I, it's for me, certainly the, not one that would have been on my list. I don't know about you, but 
I I love when we get an album that like because sometimes we'll get one that like we would have picked it anyways at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this is good. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I've, I have heard a few Beast Wars tracks because Andrew has posted uh, videos to the Facebook group and stuff before, so I'm not entirely unfamiliar with them. But I don't know them as such, and I certainly, as a result, would not have picked them. Uh for an episode myself so yeah that's fantastic uh so that is going to be the next episode beast wars by beast wars fantastic yeah all right brian thank you very much uh thank you everybody for listening uh once again i'll remind you you can support us at patreon.com slash thrash it out if you want to get in touch go to thrash podcast.com for links to email and twitter and you can join the facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out uh but for now Yeah, we'll see you next time. Keep thrashing. Take care, everybody.